with so many podcasts out there, shows can get lost in the shuffle. That's why we implore you to check out Too Many Captains. You can find us at a moviepodcast.com. Five unique takes on Hollywood movies and culture. Find us on Twitter at It's a Film Podcast. Check our intellectual deep dives into theatrical films. Find us on Instagram at Too Many Captains Productions. Unique takes on soundtracks. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash too many captains productions. Find us at a moviepodcast.com on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. And now, here comes a new episode of Collateral Cinema. I'm Bo Maddox. I'm Ashley Chancellor. And this is Collateral Cinema and Collateral Gaming. <laughs> Cinema, the only movie podcast that matters, where we focus on good movies, bad movies, and everything else in between in the world of cinema. We are podcasting straight from somewhere in South Texas, and yes, my friends, we are a 420-friendly podcast. So whatever you have, be it bongs, be it blunts, be it joints, be it anything marijuana-related, smoke it if you've got it. Oh yeah, smoke it all, especially with this movie. Yeah, this is definitely a smoke-worthy movie. I mean, I, I feel like that's honestly the best way to enjoy this and maybe a little bit of alcohol as well in your system because this is a blast. Yeah, and we are talking about Paul W.S. Anderson's Mortal Kombat, the first really successful video game movie, right? Yeah, or the first video game movie that actually like respected its source material, you know what I mean? And didn't try to do something that was just completely not what the game was. <laughs> I mean, the actors look like the characters in the game and it captures the overall aesthetic despite being a little bit tamer. Yeah, I really feel like this movie nails the tone of the game like almost perfectly, really. But mainly like just the characterization, the settings and just the humor and everything. I mean... Everything just feels exactly like it's straight from the game here, except for the gore and the violence and everything. Yeah, yeah. And there is still a lot of bit of brutality in it, which we'll get into. This movie, like you said, was directed by Paul Anderson. How do you think this compares to film adaptations of video games in general? I mean, I know we said that this is kind of the first successful one, right? Yeah, it's the first one to really capture everything that the original game was supposed to go for. Because you have to remember with Mortal Kombat, it was originally supposed to be inspired by Enter the Dragon and yeah. you know Bruce Lee movies and stuff like that. So, And they just added a little more of a supernatural element to it. I mean, in many ways, it's almost the same plot as Enter the Dragon. Yeah. I, I've seen that take as well, which I've never seen Into the Dragon, but, you know, I know of it. 
And and so that, that's a logical extrapolation. If the game is inspired by that movie, then the movie would kind of be similar. Let's also kind of discuss the Mortal Kombat franchise as a video game series, because obviously the original Mortal Kombat is to this day considered one of the greatest video games of all time. And and it's a well-known franchise. Yeah, and I learned a couple of interesting things about the lead-up to the original game via Good Bad Flicks, which, by the way, check out that channel. They're totally awesome. And apparently this was originally going to be an adaptation of the Jean-Claude Van Damme movie Universal Soldier. That's what they were working on. I saw that, too. Yeah. Yeah. And eventually that fell through, and... You know, Midway at the time, they were doing a lot of licensed games because that was the really big thing. But Ed Boon and John Tobias, they were starting to think, you know, maybe we could do some type of ninja game or something like that. Like it was specifically more of a yeah. ninja thing. And they initially tried to get the rights to the Jean-Claude Van Damme film Bloodsport. I mean, a video game adaptation of Bloodsport could have been pretty good, I think, although maybe a little closer to like pit fighter than mortal Kombat as it came out, but they eventually came together with the main characters. The, the first character that they came up with was Johnny cage. Actually, they consider him like the father of all mortal Kombat characters there. Yeah. And he is kind of the more Jean-Claude Van Damme character, which is interesting because I found out that Van Damme was offered the role of Johnny Cage. However, he turned it down to go play in Street Fighter. Yeah, he, he turned it down to play Guile. And the interesting thing is, whenever that movie came out, Mortal Kombat was still in production, and they saw that it was a flop, and New Line Cinema, they were really, really nervous about this movie. Extremely nervous about it. Especially given how other video game adaptations at the time were coming out. Like, for instance, Double Dragon and, of course, Super Mario Brothers, which we did in our uh, previous season. Yeah, we did. You know, it's funny, too, is I, they had other cause to be worried, too, because Mortal Kombat was one of the most violent, over-the-top, graphic, gory... <laughs> <laughs> video games you know out there apparently controversies ended up leading to the creation of the esrb rating system so <laughs> yeah it actually got a congressional hearing that game along with the sega cd classic night trap it like joe lieberman who was a senator at the time he brought this before one of the house committees and man they made a real big deal out of it. They, I remember them bringing in the American president of Nintendo at the time who came in and said, look, Night Trap is never going to come out on our system, and if Mortal Kombat comes out, it's going to be heavily edited and heavily censored. And, and it was. They took the blood out of that game, and it was just sweat, and the fatalities were <laughs> really truncated. That's funny. You know, Mortal Kombat was also notable for digitalizing sprites based on real actors in, in motion capture performances. Not just so all of the movements were realistic. Not just any actors. Those were actually most of the original development team for Mortal Kombat. Yeah. And did you know that also Ed Boon voices uh, Scorpion in the Mortal Kombat movie? Yeah. And he was the original voice of Scorpion in the games as well. The, the classic, wow. get over here. Yeah, really? That's crazy. Yeah, that, that was him all the way. That's funny. You know what I wish? I wish they would have found a way to introduce Dan Forden into the movie. Just come out and say, Toasty! I mean, that would have been amazing. <laughs> if they would have 
that would have been a great Easter egg. I mean, I know that there's a Mortal Kombat 3 combat code in the background of one of the sets, if you look closely enough. Like, Mortal Kombat 3, they had that weird uh, code system to where you can, like, enter cheats at the beginning of each fight. Oh, yeah? Yeah, they, they actually had one of those uh, cheat codes in the background on one of those sets, if you look really closely. Damn, that's crazy. You know, I've been playing some of the more recent entries. I was playing Mortal Kombat 11. And, you know, what's really cool is that recently, as DLC, they added skins of the classic movie. And, and, and the actors for this movie actually reprised their roles and redid the voice acting. That's fucking awesome, man. Especially getting Christopher Lambert back and Robin Show and Carrie Hiroyuki Tagawa. I mean, it was actually Tagawa, Lambert, Wilson, and Ashby were the ones that reprised their roles. I don't know why he wasn't there, but. <laughs> so Robin Show wasn't a part of that? Yeah, apparently not, but I, I actually downloaded that DLC and it was really cool. You know, playing as Johnny Cage in the movie skin or playing as Sonya Blade. <laughs> Did they have any fighting locations from the movie? Not that I'm aware of. It was just the character skins. Oh, man, that would have been cool because honestly, recreating the Scorpion versus Johnny Cage fight, that would be awesome because that happens in two different locations. Yeah. But in any case, Paul Anderson had already kind of built up a name for himself with the 1994 film Shopping. Have you seen that? Believe it or not, I have not seen that movie. And I haven't even come across it in my DVD shopping. You know, since, you know, I'm a DVD collector, so I'm always going to movie shops and looking for, you know, something to add to my collection. And I've never come across that movie for some reason. It, it might be okay. kind of rare. Yeah, but he's perhaps better known for the Resident Evil film series being the primary creative force behind that and being the director of multiple films in the franchise, which, of course, stars his wife, Mia Jovovich. And there's a reason why he did all of the Resident Evil movies. It's because he very deeply regretted not coming back to either produce or direct on Mortal Kombat Annihilation, which... I mean, I don't know if we're going to get into that movie, but no, that's that's a piece of shit, ladies and gentlemen. Don't even bother with it. Well, we'll mention it at one point. But yeah, I did read that, that he actually, as a result of not being a part of that and completely hating the film, he wanted to remain involved with the Resident Evil film so as to stay with the franchise and shepherd it. Yeah. And I think that that series is all the better for it. I mean, it's not the greatest franchise in the world, but I remember at least the first couple of Resident Evil movies being very entertaining, especially the first one. I would say even that is probably on par with Mortal Kombat as far as quality is concerned and as far as capturing the feel of the original video game franchise. Yeah, no, I agree. And that's another film series that I think has at least been, you know, somewhat successful. I don't know how accurate it is to the games because I haven't really gotten into the Resident Evil film franchise. I highly recommend at least getting into the first two or three movies because especially the first two movies, they really condense uh, the first and second game and even the third game like really well in that particular movie. So, okay. Now, he also did Event Horizon. Oh, man, Event Horizon. God damn, that's actually a really fun movie in its own right. It's practically Hellraiser in space, and that's definitely something that we need to do on this podcast eventually because, I mean, that has a production history that's really interesting all its own. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. I mean, another one I've heard of, I've seen it personally, 
but if Anderson's behind it and I can kind of see where his filmography goes with this and based off of what I've heard with the Resident Evil series, that sounds pretty interesting. And apparently he also directed Alien versus Predator. I'm very lukewarm on Alien versus Predator. I, I, I think that the first movie is a little better than the second one. The first one, I'm, I think that's the one that he did. Yeah. But even so, I don't know. That's not necessarily something that I'm going to go watch anytime soon, really. It's just, eh. I would much rather watch Event Horizon than that. Yeah. The other film that he's credited with as Death Rites, the 2008 remake. I never saw that one. I, I never I saw it. I think I've seen that one, I, at least parts of it. Isn't Jason Statham in that movie? I think so. It was a long time ago. I honestly don't remember anything about it I, other than that, you know, there was death and there was racing. Man, that's why we should have Robert here because he would know all about that movie. I he guarantee He would it. know. Yeah, Jason Statham, Tyrese Gibson, Ian McShane. Okay. <laughs> had Tyrese Gibson in it? Oh, shit. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. yeah. Robert would know that. That's what I was. I was when I was writing this itinerary up, I was like, damn, it's going to be a shame. Robert's not going to be here because he'll know about death race. He'll be able to talk about that. Yeah. I'll go. Oh, yeah, that was the one. And here was there was this car model in it. Yeah. He would just talk about the cars the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> that's why he didn't show up. There's no cars in this movie. So he didn't care about it. He said, not no cars. OK, fuck it. Yeah. No cars. And it's not a slasher movie. <laughs> <laughs> so. Anderson apparently is also the co-founder of Impact Pictures, which he founded along with Jeremy Bolt. So there you go. Now, Mortal Kombat was produced by Lawrence Kasanoff, and yep. that's a name I've seen before. Yep. Lawrence Kasanoff. He is the man behind Food Fight, which was our very first episode all that's the way back. That's where I in, seen it. Yeah. Very first episode <laughs> all the way back in season one. I highly recommend everybody go listen to it. It's a kind of a shitty episode, but it's a good starting off point. And, you know, Lawrence Kasanoff, I mean, you got to give it to him. I mean, he really was a visionary when it came to this movie. Like, he really wanted to just expand Mortal Kombat to all kinds of different mediums. Like, after this movie came out, like, you had a, a live-action TV show. You had a CGI animated uh, movie on videotape. You had a live tour with all the Mortal Kombat characters. You had a season of an animated show as well. I mean, you got to give him some credit there. I mean, he really, really was into this movie. And he, he even went to the main developers, Ed Boon and Tobias at Midway and said, look, I'm going to make this into a movie. Like, I love this story. That's great. Yeah, that's what I heard is he ha actually spent three months convincing Midway Games to sell the rights only for the head of New Line to say that he hated the script, but went ahead and green-lighted it. <laughs> oh, man, New Line was against this movie from the get-go. I mean, I can kind of understand, given how Super Mario Brothers uh, went as far as its box office, but, I mean, it was a gamble that ended up really delivering the goods, I think. Yeah, and you got to remember, this was 1995. I mean, we really didn't have a lot of video game adaptations to draw from. And, and that's a reason behind a lot of the development decisions that were made. And evidently, there were also extensive reshoots that were done because after the test screening, the audience, they liked the movie, but they wanted more fight scenes. Yeah. So they went in and they actually extended some of the fight scenes that are the best fight scenes in the movie, arguably. And the reason behind that is that Robin Shaw was the one who exclusively choreographed those scenes. 
Yeah, it was because the original fight choreographer, Pat Johnson, he was already working on another movie after the fact. And, you know, Pat Johnson, he had done choreography for like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies and also the Karate Kid movies, all four of them. Really? Yeah. He choreographed all the fights in those movies. I I think the reason why Robin Shaw's fight choreography is more memorable is mainly because he had that background in Hong Kong action and Kung Fu movies. I mean, and that, that's yeah. a totally different type of fight choreography. I mean, he worked with Jackie Chan even. So Really? Yeah. So, I mean, he had a fundamental understanding of how a martial arts fight should actually play out on screen. Like, maybe, arguably a little better than Pat Johnson did. Yeah, and, and apparently even during the, you know, prior to the reshoots, Shaw was given free reign by Johnson to come up with ideas that were incorporated into the film. Yeah, I mean, that's what's interesting about a lot of the fight choreography is that it's almost kind of ad-libbed in many ways. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but all of the martial arts in this film is is real, you know, and most of the actors perform their original stunts. Yeah, that, that's because Lawrence Kasanoff made it a point whenever they were casting the movie, him and Paul Anderson, they made it a point to find either actors who had real-world fighting experience or martial artists who had decent acting experience. Like, everybody in this movie are doing their own stunts. They're doing their own fight choreography. Yeah, and we'll have actually a lot to talk about that with the the starring cast and characters, but yeah. I also wanted to note that a lot of the filming was done in Thailand and in California, and what was interesting about the Thailand locations is that apparently they were so remote that they were only accessible by boat. Yeah, this posed quite a few problems initially because... You know, they literally had to boat all their gear and the entire crew and the cast to this island to film all of this. Yeah, that's crazy. But God, some of the wide shots in this film actually really are visually appealing. You know, pretty stunning. Yeah, it's not bad for a movie of its caliber, honestly. I mean, let's not beat around the bush. I mean, there's a little bit of a cheapness to this movie. There really is. But... I think that it adds to the charm of the film and it adds to the visual quality of it. Yeah, definitely. I I think that there is like a unique aesthetic here, but I I did want to say that I I thought the landscapes were good and I like the soundtrack as well, which was composed by George S. Clinton. Not the George Clinton of Parliament Funkadelic fame. It's an entirely different composer. Right. Apparently this was done by a relatively small record company called TVT Records, but it was the first platinum edm record in history little fun fact yeah i mean it it actually had some metal on there and some industrial as well like kmfdm and it had napalm death on there of all bands i don't know if you're familiar with napalm death that's that's a straight up grindcore band and the band that arguably created extreme metal as we know it today so having them on this soundtrack is rather interesting and also somebody who is also notable that worked on this soundtrack is the guitarist buckethead I don't know if you know who Buckethead is. I don't. He's a really crazy avant-garde kind of shred style guitarist. Like he's kind of known for being part of the Primus wing of music. Like he's really involved in a lot of Primus's work. Les Claypool has actually played bass on some of his solo albums. And he's known for walking around with this white mask and a KFC bucket on his head. And hence the Buckethead. <laughs> And he, he actually he actually played guitar with Guns N' Roses for a little bit. Oh, shit. No way. Yeah, whenever cool. Axl Rose was getting his band back together to 
make a new album that took 30 fucking years to make. But I mean, yeah. initially he was part of that lineup. Okay. That's interesting. And he worked on the film. Yeah. I liked a lot of the EDM soundtrack and apparently that title theme was played extensively in the nineties, like at school dances and things like if you didn't know the movie, you knew the theme. <laughs> it's pretty much become the de facto theme of the entire franchise, even to this day. Really? Yeah. I mean, I'm surprised that they don't reprise it on some of the latest uh, releases of the game itself recently. Yeah, that would make sense. But, you know, getting into the plot, right? What were your thoughts on the narrative and the overall writing quality? Well, first off, I really like how they establish the characters as quickly and as strongly as they do. I mean, you pretty much get a full-on idea of who Sonya is, who Liu Kang is, who Johnny Cage is, even who Shang Tsung is. I mean, in the very first few moments of the movie, you have Shang Tsung taking out Liu Kang's brother. Yeah, and they did a good job of portraying each character's background fairly quickly, you know, arguably they did it a lot better than Suicide Squad did. <laughs> oh, way better than Suicide Squad. I mean, <laughs> then again, we're talking about less characters to work with here. I mean, because you mainly have three or four main leads here. You have, you know, Cage, Blade, Liu Kang, and Raiden. Right, essentially. And we get a good background on all of those characters. And, and we get a, a feel for their personalities right away. I mean, Luke Cage is this pretentious asshole with terrible, terrible one-liners. You mean Johnny Cage, right? <laughs> Did I say Luke Cage? Yeah, you said Luke Cage. Oh, my God. Johnny <laughs> Cage. I'm so sorry. I think yeah, I was thinking of Luke Kang and, and Johnny Cage, and then there's the Marvel character Luke Cage, so it just kind of... <laughs> well, you know that we're keeping that head. in, right? We, you, you can keep it in, okay? <laughs> just go on record of saying, fuck you. <laughs> and fuck your couch, too. Hell yeah, man. Hell yeah. <laughs> but no, yeah, I agree with you. I think I thought that all of the characters were very well introduced. And yeah, the dialogue is pretty cringy, but that's kind of the point. It has this campy quality to it that adds to the charm. And you're watching it knowing that it's kind of bad, but it's good. Like, it's honestly, I want to say self-aware. It's very self-aware, especially for dialogue coming from a game that doesn't have a whole lot of the characters actually speaking, except maybe like, you know, Scorpion. And of course, you hear Shang Tsung. You know, he's the main fight announcer in the original games. So Right, which makes sense because they bring that into the movie where he says, and I love it how they do it because it's kind of cheesy, but it does work. He's just kind of like, fatality. Or flawless victory. <laughs> Finish him. I love how they, 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 he says that like four times in the movie and at least like two of those times it's not a flawless victory. Like the other character got hit, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. Arguably the only flawless victory is when Sub-Zero takes out that one uh, henchman uh, during the first demonstration of his powers. Yeah, that was pretty crazy. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that Scorpion was one of the only characters that spoke because Scorpion and Sub-Zero had no lines of dialogue in this film whatsoever. No, I mean, except for Scorpion, of course, and, you know, Ed Boon reprising his role there. Right. Remind me, though, what what does he say? Get over here! Okay, he does say the get over here. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> I must it, have missed it, because I read that Ed Boon had spoke, but I guess I missed that line in the movie. <laughs> yeah. But it, it's actually kind of weird how truncated their roles were, considering that Scorpion and Sub-Zero were basically the face of Mortal Kombat. 
and they're kind of barely in this movie. They're just side characters. Hell, Sub-Zero had the most infamous fatality from the first game, the head rip fatality. Yeah, yeah. But despite that, I, I, I do think that there is a decent amount of time spent on the characters that matter. And of course, this movie is primarily based on the plot of the first game, but it does incorporate some elements of the sequel, Mortal Kombat 2. Well, basically, I mean, you have Shao Kahn, you have Jax, you have Kitana, and apparently, Kitana. apparently Jade was supposed to make an appearance in this movie, but they just couldn't work her in there. It was cut, yeah. Which makes sense because the sequel, Mortal Kombat Annihilation, was primarily based off of Mortal Kombat 3. So they were kind of trying to shove a little bit of Mortal Kombat 2 into here. Um, some of the special moves are references to the second game. And I believe that the Outer World wasn't actually referenced by name until, or Outworld, I'm sorry, wasn't mentioned by name until Mortal Kombat 2. Yeah, and in this movie, you don't have the Outworld here. It's just the Mortal Kombat realm or whatever. They don't call it Outworld, I think. They, they do mention Outworld in the film. They mention it in the very beginning, and then when they go to Outworld, oh, okay. they talk about it. The characters go to Outworld whenever they go after Sonya Blade, who suddenly becomes a damsel in distress because the plot requires it. <laughs> yeah, right. That's kind of silly. And, and, then, and then gets, you know, changed into a skimpy outfit because... Reasons. The male gaze. <laughs> I guess so. I mean, what's weird about that is Shang Tsung has this weird obsession with Sonya Blade pretty much from the first moment that you see Sonya in the movie. Like when, um, right, it's she almost has kind of like a Lisa from the room feel, where all the characters <laughs> in the film are talking about how attractive she is. She's <laughs> oh, not I only mean, her, but Kano, and and obviously Johnny Cage is hard hitting on her at the whole time. But they actually are an an item in the video game series. Yeah, they eventually have a daughter together. What's interesting here is that they don't really play up any type of romantic interest between any of the characters, actually. There's some flirtation here and there, but... And, and initially, Liu Kang and Kitana was supposed to have a romance in the movie, but that got cut. And I was going to mention that. Yeah, honestly, I think that it's for the better here. It, it would be a distraction in this movie if they actually went with that. And in, in the second movie, they kind of have that type of relationship uh, blooming between Liu Kang and Kitana, and... Honestly, it, it just doesn't work for me. It really doesn't. They were actually the, the same actors in that one, so that's interesting. But I, I, I kind of got to agree with you. I thought the romance subplot as it was was fine. I mean, they're not being one, but they're being just that subtle flirtation. You could tell that Johnny Cage liked Sonya Blade. You could tell that, you know, I could tell, even though supposedly it was cut. I mean, there was elements of that flirtatious relationship between Liu Kang and Kitana. Obviously, he wanted her and and Johnny, you know, actually kind of uh, uh, teases him a little bit about it. Yeah, but they just never go into it. And honestly, it, it actually helps with the pacing of the movie and everything. Yeah, the movie focuses on what matters, which in this case are the fight scenes, right? <laughs> exactly. It's a fighting game. You've got to play up the fight scenes here. I think that's what I respect about Mortal Kombat is it knows exactly what it is, right? It doesn't try to be anything different. It's a video game adaptation of an over-the-top fighting game. <laughs> and it was pretty much going to be that way from the get-go, especially with Lawrence Kasanoff at the helm producing this movie. I think a lot of that goes back on him here. Yeah, I agree. But, of course, we've got the character of Johnny Cage, played by Lyndon Ashby, 
who apparently trained in karate, taekwondo, and kung fu for this film with some prior martial arts experience to boot. And he was a Golden Gloves boxer as well. Yeah, really? Yeah. That's crazy. Uh, Like we mentioned before, there was a a mild injury on set, and apparently Jean-Claude Van Damme was offered the role, but I'm kind of glad that Lyndon Ashby got it because he really just portrays that... uh, it's those cheesy one-liners that get me. I don't know if Van Damme would have carried that into the performance as well. And that's why I kind of feel like the casting in this movie is actually really inspired. I mean, these actors completely embody these characters. Like in the upcoming Mortal Kombat movie, I'm kind of anxious to see who they actually get to play Johnny Cage because Lyndon Ashby just really nailed that role so perfectly. You know, rumors are it's Louis Tan. And he's actually going to be playing a Brandon Lee type, which is interesting. And I'll talk about Brandon Lee in a second here, because apparently Brandon Lee, son of Bruce Lee, was offered the role of or was considered for the role of Liu Kang um, until his untimely death prior to the movie. But there were rumors that he was actually going to play Johnny Cage. He was going to play Johnny Cage. I heard that he was in the running for Liu Kang. Right. But it was also there were rumors at the time that he may have been Johnny Cage as well. So I, I think it's more likely that it was Liu Kang. That would have made a lot more sense. Yeah. But, but man, can you imagine what this movie would have been with Brandon Lee at the helm of this? It would have been legendary, I think. Yeah. Not to say anything about Robin Shaw's performance. Oh, he because yeah, he's another actor that honestly, it's difficult for me to see anybody else playing him. Yeah. And he's one of the only ones that made it into the sequel, which I guess that's what's so disappointing about the sequel, like you said, because the casting here is really inspired. And for most of the main cast to have been replaced is probably why people had a bad taste in their mouths as soon as Annihilation happened. (laughs) I mean, even Bridgette Wilson, who plays Sonya Blade here, she was brought in like halfway through the movie because Cameron Diaz, which, you know, once again, what could have been there? Like, could you imagine if Cameron Diaz was Sonya Blade in this movie? Like, that would have been interesting. That would have been interesting. But Bridget Wilson honestly did a great job because she performed all her own stunts, apparently having been nicknamed Robo Babe by <laughs> Paul Anderson. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she nailed her role, and that's really impressive given how little bit of time she had to prepare for the role. Be 
Yeah, like, in the same scene where you see that Johnny Cage is kind of this pretentious hotshot, you also get the sense that, you know, very quickly that Sonya Blade is a no-nonsense type character who is kind of a badass. That's why that move at the end where she's suddenly the damsel is kind of jarring and, and off-putting, but the plot requires it. <laughs> that, that's par for the course with a lot of characters like that in movies and video games and literature. I mean... It's a pretty common trope, and thankfully it's kind of being subverted a little more these days. Yeah, but, I mean, some of that's at play here. I mean, she straight up snaps Kano's neck. That's cool. Yeah, the, the fatalities that's that they do manage to put in here are, you know, they're not nearly as graphically violent, but, you know, they still work within the context of the movie. Yeah, they're not necessarily as gory and graphic as they're depicted in the game, but there are a few brutal scenes. I mean, I like how Kana's neck gets snapped and Sub-Zero gets punctured by his own icicle or no, through the icicle that he unintentionally freezes. That's right. And Scorpion gets his skull chopped in half and even Shang Tsung gets impaled on spikes. So that brutality is there. It's just it's obviously censored and not. Oh, and hey, don't forget Johnny Cage's friendship at the end of the Scorpion fight. <laughs> like I, yes. I, and he that that's an actual special move i think that's referenced where he puts yeah. the autograph down yeah, that, that, that's a friendship move i mean they really became a thing more in mortal kombat 3 but the friendship fatalities yeah and, and those are pretty hilarious to watch in their own right like i mean i remember my buddy had ultimate mortal kombat 3 on genesis back in the day and one of the rewards you can get for finishing a eight person tournament is you can see a demonstration of all the fatalities, the brutalities, the animalities, and the friendships, and the babalities. I mean, I remember the friendships being hilarious in that particular game. I think that's what makes Mortal Kombat Mortal Kombat, right, is are, are the fatalities and the brutalities. And <laughs> but a lot of that still does make it into the film. But there's also that little undercurrent of humor there, you know, with the friendships and the babalities, and I mean, that even is translated well into the movie. Yeah, it is. Although still no Dan Ford and Toasty, which, God damn it, I wish they could have worked that into the movie somehow. <laughs> but in addition to the uh, the characters that we mentioned, of course, we also have Kari Hiroyuki Tagawa as Shang Tsung. And evidently, he was the first and only choice for the role because he showed up in costume and yeah. was reading lines while standing on a chair. Yeah, and there's just something about his deliverance that is just so spot on. You know, how, how he delivers his lines and everything. I mean, you really kind of get that he is this thousand-year-old, arrogant, old sorcerer that, you know, he has thousands of souls in his, like, coursing through his veins, and he does not consider you a threat at all. He doesn't consider no. anybody there a threat. Yeah. He is played, I, I think, as a relatively younger version of the character yeah. because Tagawa uh, wanted to avoid the excessive makeup that would have been required to age him. But he does a fantastic job, so much so that, I mean, he was asked to portray the character not just for the movie skin, but for the actual DLC expansion in Mortal Kombat 11. Uh, he just he plays the character for the story. Fuck yeah, man. That's awesome. And I bet you that the DLC is all the better for it. Yeah, absolutely. But we got to talk about Christopher Lambert as Raiden, though. I was just about to get to that. Yeah, because apparently that role was turned down by Sean Connery. Man, can you believe that Sean Connery, he, he turned down a lot of roles that could have been iconic for him. 
you know, well, he didn't want to do a physical role. He just wanted to play golf. Yeah, he just wanted to play golf. And, you know, I mean, he passed away recently. Rest in peace, Sean Connery, by the way. But, Dude, rest in peace. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I mean, can you imagine him in that role? It, I, I, I don't know. I think it probably would have been a little out of place. You know, even more so than maybe Christopher Lambert is. I mean, during the screenings, I mean, they would have people say Highlander whenever he would come on the screen and everything. But I mean, <laughs> he in many ways steals the show in this movie many times. Well, he was the most expensive character on or most expensive actor on set. Yeah. So much so that originally he was only hired for some close up shots and they were going to use a, a stand in for some of the more wide, sh some but, of the wide shots. But he said, fuck that shit. I'm going to fucking Thailand because that's the only way this movie will be good. Yes. And I got to respect that. And why he didn't show up at Annihilation, I'm not, I don't know. <laughs> but <laughs> Probably because he was still too expensive. But I mean, he was the one person on the entire cast and crew that really livened things up behind the scenes. He, he would buy the crew dinner after every shoot, and he even paid for the rap party himself out of his own pocket. Yeah, and despite the fact that he's not a very accurate depiction of the character who was Asian, I believe that Ed Boon and the development team behind Mortal Kombat were still impressed by the performance and thought that, you know, he was a shining part of the film. Yeah, I mean, he just oozes charisma every time he's on screen. And he also interacts well with the other actors. He does. You know that Danny Glover was actually uh, also considered for the role? Man, once again, what could have been there? What if we had a Black Raiden? Yeah, right? <laughs> that would have been progressive for its time, man. Shit. I guess so. I mean, he already is a person of color, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the original portrayal. But um, Christopher I, Lambert, he also did the French dub for the movie for its foreign release as well. Oh, yeah, I heard that. Yeah, I guess he knows French. That's cool. He is French. He's from France. Right. Well, Lambert is a French name, so yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. And we had Talissa Soto as Princess Katana. She's one of the starring cast members, although she's not really in the film very much. No, I mean, in many ways, I kind of feel like she wasn't that much of an entity in this movie, really. Like, she was kind of more in the background in many ways. Yeah, but I think she's played to bigger effect in the sequel. Yeah, yeah, she is. And she's okay in that movie, but, I mean, as a character, she kind of casts a shadow over the events of the movie. Yeah. Other than those characters, we also, of course, have Kano, as we said, voiced by Trevor Goddard. And one thing that I heard is that the development team behind Mortal Kombat liked his performance so much that they retconned the character's backstory and made him Australian. He was originally supposed to be Japanese. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. And showing up at the film, I mean, he definitely does make an impression, I think, more so than Kitana does. Oh, definitely. He's one of the more memorable characters in this movie. Yeah. And then we've got Scorpion and Sub-Zero, who... Again, I, it's weird that they're not in there as much as they should have been. And I, I think in the reboot, they're going to, you know, focus on those characters from what I've heard, which will be good. Yeah. But they had to be included. And the fight scenes that they are in are pretty fucking cool. Yeah, they are. Although I'd say that the Liu Kang reptile fight kind of steals the show, as well as the Johnny Cage scorpion fight. Yeah, no, exactly. Like you said, Reptile shows up all throughout. And we've also got Goro, who is actually one of the better practical effects in the movie. That shit looks great. It does, although apparently the puppetry on that suit 
broke down all the fucking time. Yeah, the lip movements aren't quite right, but it, it does look good. <laughs> and the the dude in the suit, he actually was the xenomorph in many alien movies, actually. That's what I heard, yeah. And, the, of course, contrast that with the reptile, who was all CGI, and that shit was bad. That was, like, spawn-level bad. <laughs> it really was. And in many <laughs> ways, that's kind of a hallmark of Paul W.S. Anderson movies is shoddy CGI. Like, if you see Event Horizon, you'll see some CGI in there that's very obvious and very, very congruous, you know? It it's just kind of stares you right in the face. Yeah, the computer effects don't really hold up as well in this film, although what practical effects are there look pretty good. Well, the CGI effects on Scorpion's powers were pretty okay, I think. Yeah, I'll take that back. The The thing coming out of the hand that looks kind of like a vagina. <laughs> the the <laughs> hand spear? Kinda, I actually like cool. the idea of Scorpion's hand spear being this kind of sentient being in its own right. Yeah. No, you're right. That looked too... And Sub-Zero wasn't bad either. I mean, some of the ice effects looked pretty good. Yeah. So we've also got characters like Jax Briggs, who doesn't make a very big role. He's a character that was introduced in Mortal Kombat 2, and I think he shows up in the Annihilation movie, but he has some screen time. Yeah, and he was originally going to be played by Michael Jai White. Spawn I himself. heard that. Isn't that crazy? And then years later, when somebody made that little fan film that went viral, that was trying to, you know, reboot the series, he finally got to play the role of Detective Jax in that particular short. So it all came full circle. We've also got Frank Welker doing the voice of Shao Kahn, who was only referred to as the Emperor, uh, and also some of the voice effects on other characters. Yeah, Frank Welker is kind of a stalwart voice actor, and, you know, I mean, he played Dr. Claw, he's played some really iconic roles, and, I mean, it's very obvious that it's Frank Welker. I mean, if you know anything about his work, you'll be like, oh, yeah, that's Frank Welker. It's like you can okay. pretty much point him out, like, almost immediately. I've definitely heard the name before. Yeah, he is kind of a legend when it comes to animated voice overwork. I mean, I, I think that he was the original villain in the Transformers cartoon back in the day, uh, Megatron. Okay. I oh, he was Megatron? Okay. He was either yeah. Megatron or he was Starscream. I don't really remember. Okay. Did you know that originally Steven Spielberg was going to cameo as Johnny Cage's director? Yeah, and it's very obvious that the guy that they got to play that was totally an XP of Spielberg. Like, yeah, it's played by uh, Sandy Helberg. He, he he was meant to look like Spielberg, who had to back out due to scheduling conflicts. Yeah, but he was a fan of the series, and he wanted to be in this movie, and it would have been really cool if he would have cameoed. That would have been really cool, but I'm so happy with what we had. I mean, as far as the cinematography and the execution Obviously, this movie is definitely not as graphic as the source material is well known for, but we have to tie that into the fact that there were a lack of video game adaptations at this time. And obviously that meant that an R-rated movie was going to be risky and it would have alienated the target audience. Yeah, I mean, let's face it, even for being such a violent series, I mean, it's mostly kids that were into Mortal Kombat. And they weren't going to be able to see the movie. So slapping the PG-13 you know, rating on there and minimizing the violence was the best move that they could have made at the time. And I don't disagree with it. So, yes, this movie is a little bit tamer. But just with what they had to work with, 
they really were still able to capture, I think, the aesthetic of, of the game, right? Yeah. And, and I kind of feel like if this movie was made today, they probably would have went ahead and filmed the graphically violent stuff and just, you know, cut it out, maybe. Like, and, and yeah. then save it for, like, a director's cut. That's what they should have done. And I'm happy that that's what we're going to get finally with the reboot, which I'm, I'm anxious to see. I'd like I like to see, as long as it's well-written and well-directed, I, I really think that, you know, in today's world, we can have that kind of a video game movie. It's been delayed, hasn't it? It has been. And, and it's sad because uh, we actually, originally, this review was meant to be a tie-in. This month, we were going to do the original Mortal Kombat movie. And next month in January, we were set to do the Mortal Kombat 2021 movie. And we could have compared and contrasted the two. We were going to do that as an at the movies episode. And up until very recently, it still sounded like it was happening. I mean, we hadn't heard any updates, but I hadn't been told that it was going to be delayed. So we wouldn't have with our plans to do it. And just last month in November, apparently the news was made. And I only found that out researching it today that yeah, the, uh, I, I found out about it when you delayed. told me about it. Yeah, see, you didn't even know before then, too. It, it, it's been very, very quiet development. In fact, we're not even 100% on the characters that are going to show up. I mean, most of the actors have been out. I mean, and we're, we're, we're set to talk about this later, but we can talk about it now. I don't care. Uh, but we've got Ludi Lin as Liu Kang and Joe Taslim as Sub-Zero and Tadanobu Asano as Raiden, Jessa McNamee as Sonya Blade, Mecca Brooks as Jax Friggs, Josh Lawson as Kano, Chin Han as Shang Tsung, and Hiroyuki Sanada as Scorpion, another name I recognize. And possibly Louis Tan, he's involved. He's maybe playing Johnny Cage. I think that that's a pretty decent cast. I mean, I, I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm not all that familiar with most of those actors' works outside of this. But, I mean, the names that I do recognize, it's like, yeah, it could be pretty good. I mean, I don't know if it'll stand up to this cast, which I kind of feel like if they would have gotten maybe a slightly better director. I mean, not in really knocking Paul W.S. Anderson. I mean, what he does is good, I guess. But... Had they had a different director who maybe had a little more experience, they probably could have gotten better performances out of this cast, even better than they already are. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I recognize some of the names like Tadanobu Asano, Hiroyuki Sanada. I've definitely heard those, but we'll see what happens. Obviously, the movie's going to be released once theaters reopen due to COVID. So we'll see what happens. I kind of just wish they had just released it digitally. I mean, if this was the kind of movie that they could have gotten away with that with it, doesn't yeah. feel like it's a movie that really needs to be at the theater, but... <laughs> well, there's a lot of movies that are being delayed like that. Like, for instance, Halloween Kills, which isn't coming out till October next year, and, you know... Well, yeah, if it's like a big movie like that or like a Marvel movie, I get it. But, I mean, for Mortal Kombat, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like that's something that could just be a digital release, but... Yeah, what it do could I know? work that way. It could work that way. But another thing which we already mentioned, of course, was that most of the actors actually performed their own stunts. And there were some onset injuries, but I've been told those were kept minimal. But you, you mentioned some like cracked ribs and stuff, right? Yeah, mainly Robin Show, who played Liu Kang, obviously. Uh, he said that he could pretty much grade each fight scene by how many ribs he broke. Like the reptile fight, he had three broken ribs while he was doing that one. Yeah. I mean, he still powered through it, you know, and that's respectable. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it shows. I think the fight sequences hold up. They do. 
they hold up extremely well. I mean, you could actually watch the fight scenes by themselves and still be entertained by them. Yeah, I mean, that's basically what this movie is. I mean, when you sat here as a kid and you watch this, I mean, this was the awesomest shit to come on screen because it was just straight up action and the action looked real. This wasn't some Power Rangers shit. I mean, this was... <laughs> yeah, there, there's Real some... life martial arts. There's some, I, I guess you could say, gravitas to some of the fight scenes in this movie that it really lends itself well to, you know, adapting the original, you know, fights in the fighting game. Yeah, and, and Lyndon Ashby, apparently after bruising his kidney, was going to get a stunt double to stand in for him, but it was, what's his face? It was Paul Anderson who admonished him about that. It's like... It's like how many? No, I think it was Robin Shaw. I heard that Robin Shaw. It's like how many broken ribs do you have? It's like I mean, <laughs> I mean, I pulled through my fight scenes with this. Why can't you? You just got a kidney shot. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty much just a common boxing injury, you know, getting this kidney is shot. True. This is true. He he was kind of acting like a pretentious actor, wasn't he? <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe now you fall. <laughs> but but what were your thoughts on the overall cinematography here? You know what? It's a movie that at many in many places it looks pretty good. Like even some of the compositing on some of the outworld shots were pretty cool and some of the panning shots and everything and I mean, there's certain moments where you could tell it's digital, there's certain moments where it kind of becomes seamless, you know? I mean, it, it's a little hit or miss, admittedly. Yeah, I think I agree with that. Well, Mortal Kombat has gotten mixed reviews from critics. It currently holds a 48% on Rotten Tomatoes. So I think that kind of shows where this movie is at. I, I will say it was number one at the box office for it, its weekend of release, which for, beat for three weeks. The, the Babysitter's Club. Yeah, for three it, weeks it was. And it beat the Babysitter's Club by, I think, eight times the amount of opening figures. Yeah. Which it, released it, the same weekend. And to this day is the seventh highest grossing video game adaptation ever released in the United States. It made like over $132 million worldwide. Really? Yeah. So, I mean, it pulled in some box office, like, all across the globe. Right. So, I mean... And it apparently warranted a sequel, which was set up. The less we say about the better, but I, I think we kind of have to address it here. Oh, God. <laughs> I maybe mean, I that, guess we've said... Maybe that should be a future versus episode for us, because I saw both of these movies in the theater, and Mortal Kombat Annihilation, oh, God, that was so piss poor. I, I was with my buddy, and we were just like, uh, what the fuck? I mean... We didn't walk out of it. I, I remember going and seeing the Hitman movie and walking out of that. Yeah. You know what? I think we've said enough about it. I I, I think our opinion shows. <laughs> There's also apparently an animated prequel called The Journey Begins. It's not that good. It's very primitive computer animation, really. I mean, it, it shows its age. Hardcore. Yeah. And I think you mentioned some TV series. There was Defenders of the Realm and Mortal Kombat Conquest. Yeah, which, I mean, I think it was pointed out in the Good Bad Flicks uh, review that, you know, they totally should have spelled Conquest with a K. I don't know why they didn't go there, but... Yeah, fuck them for doing that. Yeah, what for the not fuck? Doing that. Missed opportunity. Because if you play the game, everything is spelled with a K. Like, literally everything. Everything, yeah. Like, combat codes. Th those are spelled with Ks. <laughs> or combos, or, or <laughs> conquer. But 
as far as the legacy goes, Bo, what legacy does Mortal Kombat 1995 leave behind? I think that it's still one of the best video game movies of all time. I mean, now we've had movies like uh, the Sonic movie, which we reviewed, and that was a lot of fun. And that was a way better movie than it deserves to be, I think. Like and- Sonic, like Sonic, like Sonic. <laughs> no, Sonic movie was actually great, and I'm excited about the sequel. Yeah, and the Detective Pikachu movie also. I mean, I haven't seen that yet, but it looks impressive. I haven't either, but I'd like to. I, yeah. It's one of the better. And we've got Uncharted coming out soon. Yeah, so this was the movie that helped legitimize video game adaptations as an actual profitable thing, you know? Like I said before, in the lead up to this movie, you had like Super Mario Brothers, you had Street Fighter and Double Dragon come out. Those three movies came out in this time period and they flopped hardcore. And, you know, Street Fighter, there was a lot riding on that movie and it underperformed terribly, which is kind of sad because that's a pretty okay movie in its own right, I think. I mean, it has Raul Julia, for fuck's sake, his last role. And he's having a blast and he's doing that while suffering from cancer. It's like, wow. yeah, I mean, that's a movie we need to get into next season, probably. But as far as just the overall legacy of this movie, I mean, it just set the tone for video game adaptations going forward from here. I mean, I guess we can go ahead and give our final thoughts now, right? Welcome. You're here to compete in Mortal Kombat. Tomorrow morning, the great combat begins. Some of you will even have the distinct honor and pleasure to face Prince Goro, our reigning champion. You are all witnesses to one of the greatest turning points in the history of your planet. Treasure these moments as if they were your last. And now for a taste of things to come. That's kind of what we're headed to. I mean, yeah. what are your final thoughts on the film, though? It's fucking great. I watch this movie all the fucking time. <laughs> I, I have it on DVD. I mean, unfortunately, it's not like a widescreen edition or anything. And the, the transfer is not the best, but 
it's still so much fun. I, I love the practical effects on Goro. I love the characterization. I love the cast. I mean, the fight choreography is on point. And yeah, there's some graphical hiccups with some of the, you know, CGI scenes and everything. But even then, I don't think that it really detracts that much from the movie. I mean, you still get a Mortal Kombat film. It's exactly what it says on the tin, so to speak. So, yeah, this movie is great. Watch it. Avoid Mortal Kombat Annihilation like the plague, though. Avoid that movie. <laughs> D don't even go near it. Yeah, I, I got to agree. I think Mortal Kombat is a fine film. I think it captures the essence of the games. I think it's a fantastic example of a video game or a film adaptation of a video game just doing what it's supposed to do. Like, And I've always wondered that. Like, Why are so many video game movies so different from their source material? Like, Literally, just take the game, turn it into a movie. It's not that hard. And that's what Mortal Kombat did. And yeah, they added like a little bit of, of subplot and backstory to make it more palpable for an audience. And I, I like that those that, that that it's just kind of there and it's not that important. It's just there. And yeah. <laughs> that's how you do it. But you got to give it to Lawrence Kasanoff here. I mean, he's the one that really pulled this movie together. And, you know, you, you, yeah. you got to admire that. I mean, he he set out to make Mortal Kombat a thing on different types of media and he accomplished it. He accomplished it. This movie is forever etched into the history of cinema. And it's fun, and it's a definite recommend. It's not a very long movie. I rented it for two ninety nine on Apple TV. So, and you can find the DVD for relatively cheap, like anywhere from four or five bucks. You know, yeah. Like I happen to have the dual movie release with Mortal Kombat Annihilation, so I have both movies here. Fuck yeah, yeah. No, fuck no. I don't want Annihilation. Damn it. <laughs> fuck no, no. You're right. You're right. <laughs> Okay, chuck it into the garbage, like like Master of Disguise. Oh yeah, it's it's the Master of Disguise of video game movies, like totally. There you go. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, what can we look forward to next episode, Bo? Next episode is going to be our Christmas episode, and we're actually doing a little crosscast with victims and villains again. You know, we've done so well with those guys on the show. We're also going to do a crosscast on. The first two Silent Night, Deadly Night movies, which was chosen by Robert. Right. He chose that movie and victims and villains. They came to us and said, hey, on our cross cast, we want to go ahead and talk about the second movie, which, of course, has that iconic, you know, garbage day scene, <laughs> you know, very iconic, very memeable scene. And I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Like we're going to record it over the span of a couple of days. We're going to record our episode first and then. Probably around, you know, later in the week, we're going to do Silent Night, Deadly Night 2 for Victims and Villains. And that's going to be our Christmas episode. So, yeah, happy holidays, everybody. That's what we're doing. Yeah, and this is a collab episode. So if you're listening to this on the collateral gaming side, then look forward to our upcoming episodes. Uh, we're doing our holiday special on Assassin's Creed Valhalla. But before that comes out, we're going to be talking about this. We're going to be doing our anniversary special on Skyrim. Excellent. And and by the time this is out, we should at least have one of two parts of the very overdue Last of Us Part 2, which Zach and I had a blast talking about. We just actually finished recording that today. So Nice. Very good. But you can find Collateral Cinema and Collateral Gaming on 
Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Google Play, Chill Lover Radio. You can find us on all social media platforms. We are on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you enjoyed this podcast, please, please, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or uh, feedback on your podcast platform of choice. Yeah, and also don't forget our Patreon as well. We have $1 and $5 tiers. Uh, we're starting to get some people contributing to us, uh, a few, but before we start actually honoring most of the you know, perks on those tiers, we'd like to get maybe a few more people contributing. I mean, I, I believe one of the perks is uh, near the end of each episode after that, we're going to start you know, naming new contributors and everything. So yeah, uh, f- hit us up there and please give us money, people. We need it. Yeah, and I am actively contributing to the Collateral Gaming Patreon channel. I don't think we have any patrons yet. But we do have some Let's Plays out. We have our first Let's Play out, which is free, called on Fable 3. But we also have an exclusive Let's Play available, which I'm actively working on and adding new episodes to regularly now. On The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, we have an entire Let's Play out on the Zelda infamous Zelda CDI game, Link the Faces of Evil. And we have a lot of more Patreon Let's Plays planned as soon as I wrap up on Zelda. Uh, I started Assassin's Creed 2, we're going to do Marvel Spider-Man, and we're going to do The Last of Us, and, and a lot of other great games, Excellent. both games that we've talked about on the show, and games that we haven't, and are saving for those Let's Plays, so stay tuned for that. Well, hell yeah. Well, with all that but, said, I, I guess we can go ahead and end it here, right? I guess that's it. So, <laughs> that being said... I'm Bo Maddox. And, and I'm Ashley Chancellor. <laughs> and we are Collateral Cinema, and we are out, ladies and gentlemen. Hell yeah. See you later. Stay tuned for our Christmas episode. Bye.
Collateral Cinema is an L Company production. All music and movie clips are owned by the respective creators and are used for educational purposes only. Please don't sue us. We're poor.